for our call to worship this morning inside your bulletin. It comes from Psalm 96, Psalm 96, where we are exalted, exhorted to sing to the Lord, to proclaim good tidings, to tell of His glory. And then he says, here's why. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Our worship should be marked by delight and enthusiasm because we have such a great God. So let us stand together and call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Now let us raise our voices in praise to our God by taking the hymns of grace, hymns of grace 196, Behold our God seated on the throne. 196 in the hymns of grace. I'm 126, I'm sorry. 126. Some of you are looking at me like, what are we what are we doing here? 126 in the hymns of grace. in his hands who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice all creation rises to rejoice behold our God seated adore him behold our king nothing can compare come let us adore him who has given counsel to the Lord who can question any of his words who can teach the one who knows all things who can fathom all his wondrous deeds behold our God come let us adore sinful man God is 
the Savior, risen now to reign. Behold, seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold, our King, nothing can Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we do acknowledge that you are the God above all gods. What a great and glorious God you are. For you have delivered us. You have bought us from our slavery to sin. and purchased it with a great price, the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is the reason why we gather here today to worship you. For all of those things that you have done on our behalf, even though we do not deserve them, we thank you that you have freed us and we gather uh, to lift your name above all names. We pray that you would be with us this day as we continue to discover you in your word. May our ears be tuned to your voice and may our hearts respond and may our lives be changed by what we hear and learn today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> and now take your Trinity hymn books, turning to 491. 491, Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our life's wild restless sea, saying, Christian, follow me. 491. Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our lives while restless sea. Day by day his sweet voice soundeth, saying, Christian, follow me. As of old the apostles heard it, by the Galilean lake, turn from home and toil and kindred. Oh, for his dear sake, Jesus calls us from the worship. World's golden store. From each idol that would keep us, John, love me more in our joy and in our sorrows, days of toil. Still he calls in care and pleasure. Christian, love me more than these. Jesus calls us by Him mercy. Savior, may we hear Thy call. 
Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to see in our reading today the sending out of the disciples by Jesus to go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the Israelites throughout Israel. And before he sends them out, he makes sure that they are very clear as to what may happen to them um, in different places that they go. This will not be a cakewalk. Um, He describes to them that there will be those like they've seen come against himself, come against them as well. That they will not like or agree with the teachings or what is being proclaimed and that they are to expect persecution. Um, And when that takes place, they are to endure. They are not to stray from the truth, uh, but they are to move on to the next town. And then he ends that with a comforting word of, let us not fear man who can only destroy our bodies, but let us fear God who can destroy both our body and our soul. And then he also encourages them, reminding them of the rewards that one receives as they follow Christ. We may not see it for a while, but in the end they will come. And it is a reminder to us to, to press on. Um, I was reading in uh, Ray Comfort's Evidence Bible this particular chapter, and he uh, proclaims that uh, he, he believes um, that the reason why so many people claim to be Christians today is because we make it sound so easy, that life will be much better. And that's what many proclaim to those who want to see come to church or to change their lives. Come to Jesus, your life will be better. Um, books are uh, filling shelves with that type of message in our bookstores and on the internet today. And yet we forget to tell them about the cost that it will cost us when we follow Christ. Yes, the gift of eternal life is free to us. We did not have to pay the price to get that. But there is a price to following Christ. And we should not neglect to let that be known to those whom we call to follow Him. It must be apparent. So Matthew chapter 10. Jesus called the twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits so they could cast them out and heal every kind of disease and sickness. And now these are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus sent out these twelve, instructing them as follows. Do not go on a road that leads to Gentile regions, and do not enter any Samaritan town. Go instead to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach this message. Kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. 
Do not take gold, silver, or copper in your belts. No bag for the journey or an extra tunic or sandals or staff. For the workers deserve his provisions. Whenever you enter a town or village, find out who is worthy there and stay with them until you leave. And as you enter the house, greet those within it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come on it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your message, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or that town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for the region of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Prepare, beware of people, because they will hand you over to the councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be brought before governors and kings because of me, as a witness to them and to the Gentiles. Whenever they hand you over for trial, do not worry about how to speak or what to say, for what you should say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will hand over brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise against parents, and have them put to death. And you will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in one town, flee to the other. I will tell you the truth. You will not finish going through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not greater than his teacher, nor a slave greater than his master. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much worse will they call the members of his household? Do not be afraid of them, for nothing is hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing is secret that will not be made known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet no one... Sorry. Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Even all the hairs on your head are numbered. So do not be afraid. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Whoever then acknowledges me before people, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. And whoever denies me before people, I will deny him also before my father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace into the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Whoever receives a prophet in the name of the prophet will receive a prophet's reward. 
Whoever receives a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives only a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, I tell you the truth, he will never lose his reward. This morning as we seek our God in prayer again, we want to remember the brethren there at the Providence Reformed Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota with Pastor Steve Nutter. We rejoice with them on the report of a man who had been recently recognized by the church as another elder in that church. We're thankful for that. They're looking forward to his ordination here in the near future. So let us seek our God together, praying for Providence. And then I think most of you have heard that uh, Dale and Rhonda's son-in-law had a stroke this past week. He's in the hospital, but my understanding is he's doing better. And hopefully by the end of the week we'll be heading home. We'll see. No, it doesn't look like it. You don't know. Okay. So do pray for Aaron as uh, he is recovering there in Toledo. All right. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we gather in this place this morning, how we pray that you find us a people who are committed to you, devoted to you. That, Father, we will seek first your kingdom. That we will have no other gods before you. And that that is demonstrated not only with our lips, but by our lives. That we love you above everything else. And Father, when we allow things to creep into our lives that would draw us away from you, how we pray that the Spirit of God would work in such a way that we would be convicted, acknowledge our sins, and Father, that you would help us to live for you as we dwell here upon this work. Father, we pray that we would be a people that are growing and maturing in our relationship with you, that we are a holy people, that we seek to be cleansed and delivered from all sin. And Father, how we pray that our worship would be pleasing in Your sight even as we began this morning, that that we will sing a new song to You, that, that we will proclaim Your glorious name, that we will tell others concerning our God who is great and worthy to be praised, and that You would help us even in our time together to, to chase sleep away and to give ourselves to the worship of our God, and that by the Spirit of God and through the Word of God, You would come and have an effect upon our lives. And Father, as we desire that here, so we would desire it wherever Your Word would go forth. We would pray this morning especially for the brethren there in Minneapolis, how we thank You for them. We thank You for Pastor Nutter and his many years of laboring there in that place. We thank you that recently they have come to recognize another elder in that congregation and pray that you might bless as they ordain him to that office. We thank you for the young man who's a part of their congregation who is studying. He's an aspirant for the ministry and how we pray that you would bless his studies and that he would be of great benefit to the people of God there in that assembly. Use them, we pray for your good and for your glory. Help them to faithfully proclaim the gospel and may many be added to the kingdom as a result of 
their ministry there. And then, Father, we would pray this morning that you would be with Aaron. We pray that you would give his doctors wisdom. We would ask, Father, that he would know a complete and full recovery. We pray, Father, that you would be with Maria, as even she is now with child. And in the midst of all this, may you watch over her and the baby as well as their uh, daughter. We pray, Father, that you will uh, bring grace to them and help and strength during these days. Now, Father, again, we commit our time in your word to you. How we pray that you would help us to come with open hands and open hearts. That, Father, we might receive your word aright. That it would bear fruit for your glory and honor. For we ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Now before we come to look into the Word of God, take your hymns of grace again. Hymns of grace number 61. 61. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. Number 61 in the hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, till I want no more. Feed me till I want no more. Open now the crystal fountain. <clears throat> Doth flow, let the strength and shield, be thou still my strength and shield. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fear subside, carry through the swelling current, lend me safe on Canaan's side. Psalms of praises. Take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Every believer will face opposition 
as they seek to love and obey God in this world. We've been exhorted by Christ Himself to keep watching and praying that you do not enter into temptations. Keep watching. Keep praying. This is the warning that is sounded to those who may find themselves in danger. You might recall that the Apostle Paul warns the church there at Ephesus concerning the great spiritual battle that every believer is in against the schemes of the devil. It was Paul's desire to protect the believers at Ephesus. So he sounds the warning to put on the whole armor of God. Paul desires to protect these believers who are so dear to him. He tells them that the enemy is alive. He tells them that the enemy intends to see them fall. And so he warns them concerning the schemes. And it's interesting that Paul says these schemes of the devil. The devil knows what it takes to make you fall. And he will use those arrows to see if he can tempt you to fall. That's his end. That's his strategy. His schemes. The devil's schemes are always attractive, always deceptive, and often ensnaring. Paul tells the church at Corinth, do not be ignorant of Satan's devices. And may God help each one of us to be alert and beware lest we fall. So for our protection, we are warned and commanded to be watchful, to take every step necessary in order that we do not fall prey to the enemy. We are told, be sober, be alert, put on, and submit yourselves to God. Now, why do I say all this? I do so because when we come to Deuteronomy chapter 7, we find Moses giving the same type of warning to those who are about to enter into the promised land. They will be facing real temptations. And they need to take the necessary steps to make sure that they do not fall, but they continue to love and obey the one true and the living God. And so this morning we come to this section of Scripture where such warning is sounded. And as Paul sounds this warning, he does so using a couple foundational issues. This is, these issues are vitally important if you're going to love and obey God as you enter into 
the promised land. And these two foundational issues are vital for us today as well if we're going to stand against a real enemy who is scheming to cause us to fall in this world. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 1, we read these words. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hittites, the Zebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them before you, and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall not make a covenant with them, and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor, your, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, and then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them, you shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, hew down their ashram, and burn their graven images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And we'll stop our reading there. So now Moses comes and stands before this generation that's about ready to go into the promised land. And he sets before them these two foundational things. First of all, there's what I'm calling foundational information. And then secondly, there is, a, there is the foundational explanations. So there's the foundational information, what they, what they need to know as they go into the promised land. And then the explanation, the reason why they are to do what God has told them to do. So in this section of Scripture, we hear the important information given to His people. And the information that they are given does two things. Number one, it gives them confidence. And secondly, it tells them what they're to pursue. And so as we open up this foundational information found in our text, we read about, number one, God's sovereignty, and secondly, about man's responsibility. So the first thing we note is information about God's part. What's God going to do as they enter into this promised land? And here, I believe, we have a pronouncement of God's sovereignty. Notice what he says to them there in verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land 
where you are entering to possess it. God tells them He's going to bring them into this land. He's going to clear away many nations. And He names seven of them. When you go in, there's going to be nations there. He describes them as being greater and stronger than you are. Oh, that must be encouraging. I'm going to have you go into this land, and when you get there, there's going to be nations who are greater and stronger than you. Well, what does that sort of tell you? Well, how, how are we going to go up against them? How, how's that going to happen? It's like you coming to me and saying to me, I want you to play a basketball game against LeBron James. I want you to take him on. And at first I'm going to say, whoa, how's that going to happen? He's one of the best basketball players there is. Well, God's saying to them, when you enter the land, there's going to be these nations. They're going to be greater and stronger than you. But notice he says, but when I bring you into the land, I will deliver them before you. This is what's going to happen. This is where you will live. And those who oppose you, I will defeat. And when the Lord your God, verse 2, delivers them before you, He's going to bring you into the land and He's going to give you victory over these nations. You know... This sounds very much like what we read back in Numbers chapter 13. Remember when that generation that left Egypt comes to the promised land? They're about ready to enter into the promised land. But before they go, they send 12 spies into the land. And the 12 spies come back and say, Oh, this is great land. It's a land flowing with with milk and honey. It's, it's a huge land. But ten of those spies say, but you know what? There are some big dudes in there. I don't think we can fight against them. Now, now what did God said to them? God said to them, send out for yourselves men so that they may spy out the land of Cana, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. I'm going to give you this land. This is what God says. And they go and spy out the land, and the spies come back and said, we should by all means go up. And, or, or, or two of them said, Caleb said, we should by all means go up and take possession, for we will surely overcome it. Can you imagine, Caleb? Let's go, guys. We can take these guys. And you're like, they're, they're huge. What, what confidence do you have that we can take them? Where's, where's Caleb's confidence? It's in the fact that God says, I'm going to give you this land. We can take them. But the other spies say, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. Well, yeah, you're right. They are too strong for you. But you've got a sovereign God who says, I'm going to give you this land. And so they did not go in. And for 40 years now, they wander in the wilderness. And now here they are again at the land. 
And God says, go in and take it, and I will defeat them. I'll deliver them into your hands. Now the question is, are you going to obey God, or are you going to be like your fathers? Moses now speaks to this generation, challenges them not to be like their fathers, but to trust God, to believe His Word. God is able to assure them of the future by, by His power and his, by His will. I will deliver them before you. I will do this. Here is God's sovereignty in what He will do. That's God's part. But the other bit of information is information about man's part. About man's part. Here is what you're supposed to do. I'm going to give you this land. You shall enter this land. But I'm not going to give you this land by calling fire down from heaven and destroying them. I'm not going to give you this land by causing a great storm to wipe out the land and then you can go in and get it. You're going to take this land by a fight. You've got to fight. When you defeat them, you're taking it with your weapons of war. And you're to drive the people from the land. The fact that God has decreed they were going to take the land did not negate their responsibility to engage in battle. Do you see that? God says, I'm going to give you the land. They don't sit back and say, okay, we'll wait. No, God says, but you've got to fight. They were to fight and defeat and utterly destroy them. They were not to engage in a personal relationship with them. You shall not intermarry with them. You, you shall not give your daughters to their sons and you shall not take their daughters for your sons. But, but you will destroy them. You'll, you'll make no covenant with them. You will show no favor towards them. But to destroy them. This is, this is one of those texts uh, Mr. Middleton mentioned last week that there are some texts that can make you feel uncomfortable. Go in and utterly destroy them. And that's what they're commanded to do. Now that doesn't give us the right to go and destroy God's enemies. This is, as one man said, this is a specific command for a specific people to engage in a specific activity. You're to go in and destroy them. Utterly destroy them. Man, woman, child, you're to take them on. It's, it's a bit interesting that apparently there would still be some straggler, stragglers left. There would still be some people left because he also says, and don't intermarry with them. Well, if you completely wipe them out, there can't be intermarriage. But they're still warned not to intermarry with them. But God says, you're to destroy them. Now, again, this doesn't mean they have a nuclear weapon and they're going to push a button and, and a missile is going to fly in and destroy them. It doesn't mean that they, they've got a, a, a drone, is that what they're called? and fly it over a certain place and drop it down and, and destroy. This would mean hand-to-hand -hand combat. Be bloody, gory combat and fight. And you're to destroy them. You're, you're to kill them. 
I heard someone say that in, in the midst of war, the difficulty wasn't fighting for my country. The difficulty was killing for my country. That's what haunts me. And, and this would be the type of fight that they would be engaged in. But they were to be engaged in and, and they were to utterly destroy them. Are you troubled? Are you troubled by that terminology? That God would take sin and sinners so seriously as to give an order for their destruction? Does that bother you? Well, my friends, if we're bothered by this, if that troubles you, how much more trouble are you going to have with the second coming of Christ? How many times do we pray, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, and you recognize that when Christ comes again, billions of people will experience His wrath and His destruction. God takes sin and sinners very seriously. John Calvin points out that many people are troubled no matter what God does. John Calvin says, and hence appears the foul and detestable perversity of human intellect. We are indignant if He does not smile at once. If He delays punishment, our zeal accuses Him of slackness and the want of energy. Yet, when He comes forth as the revenger of guilt, we either call Him cruel or at least complain about His severity. On the one hand, when God allows men to go on in their evil and He doesn't immediately bring it to an end and, and we see evil prospering and seem to be getting away with their sins, we say, where is God? Why isn't He doing something? He's lazy. He ought to destroy them. Why is He allowing this to happen? And yet when God brings destruction upon sinners and brings about His wrath, then we say He's cruel and His severity is far too great. As John Calvin points out, this is the detestable perversity of the human intellect. And so we find it as well. They've been given responsibility to fight against the enemies, to tear down religious relics and replace the godless false worship with the true worship of the one true and living God. Have no other God's before me. And so here we see the foundational information given to them as they're entering the promised land. Know that God is sovereign and He will fulfill His Word. Find confidence in this. Fight with confidence knowing that what God says, He will do. He will deliver the enemy into your hand. God is sovereign. On the, same, on the same line, you're responsible. You've got to fight. You've got to defeat them. You've got to tear down their religious relics. You're not to intermarry with them. You're not to enter into a covenant with them. Those are your responsibilities. 
there we see the two things going hand in hand. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God is sovereign over all things. God is sovereign in salvation. But man, you must believe. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, seen throughout the Scriptures. And whenever you try to release the tension of those two things, you will end up in heresy. If, if these people were to say, all right, God, deliver them. Cast them out. Do your work as we sit here and do nothing. That would be wrong. And if they went into battle saying, this all depends upon us. We, we, it's, 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 is our weapons good enough? Or, and not trusting God, then that too is wrong. We see both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility going hand in hand here as they're to take the promised land. So that's the foundational information. But then next, notice with me the foundational explanation. The reasons that these things are to be done. The reason they are to take responsibility. And there are two reasons. There are two reasons that they are to fight tear down, make the covenant. First reason is because temptation is actual. Temptation is actual. You are a people who are vulnerable to temptation. It is real. You're not to enter into a relationship with these people because you're vulnerable. And if you're not careful you're going to be moved away from following and obeying God as you are ought. You're vulnerable that your devotion and commitment to God alone may move to other things. Notice what he says, verse 4. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And He will quickly destroy you. If you're not careful and you don't deal with things as I tell you to deal with, by and by, you can be slowly move away from God and follow after other things. Living in the flesh... We need to constantly be alert, constantly be watchful against any allurement of this world that would carry us to following after other gods. Little things that we're not taking care of. Little things that we don't deal with by and by will lead us giving other things greater priority than our relationship to God. A man doesn't wake up one day and think to himself, I'm going to go out and commit adultery. It's little things that he doesn't deal with. He doesn't guard his eyes with regard to what he watches. 
He doesn't guard his relationship to his wife the way he ought to. And little by little, the man sooner or later falls into grievous, destructive sin against God. No one ever decided one day, I'm just going to walk away from God. But, but little by little, he neglects his own relationship with God. Little by little, he spends no time in communion with God. Little by little, he's not reading and meditating and, and memorizing the Word of God. And now he's not following God as he ought. It is sad very sad that over the years the number of men who have walked away left the faith apostatized because they did not keep their heart right with God. We live in the flesh and Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. And he will seek to convince you. If you haven't read, I would suggest it highly Thomas Brooks, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Thomas Brooks, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And in that book, he, he sets all the things before us with regard to how Satan seeks to allure us from God. He, he, he hides the hook by having a, a beautiful piece of meat that it looks so good that he hopes you grab it so that he can hook you in and reel you in. He, he tries to convince you it's, it's just a little sin. It's just a little sin. It's just a little look. It's, just, it's, simply, it's simply a momentary gratification. It, it's, it's simply a little bit of gossip. It, it's simply a, a little bit of... Of, of, of oh, oh if, if I miss church once or twice, it, it, it's okay. It's no big deal. If, if, if this, this community is not all that big of a priority in my life. And, and little by little, Satan will use those things to draw you away from God. There is no temptation in our lives that might lead to our downfall. If we head down a certain path, there's no sin. No sin that I don't fall into if I don't keep my heart and keep a living relationship with the living God. How many times have we heard about people who've fallen into sin and our response was, I would never do that. That would never happen to me. I would never find myself addicted to listening to gossip. I would never find myself stealing from somebody something that doesn't belong to me. I, I would never find myself engaged in being addicted into pornography. That would never, ever happen to me. We need to wake up to the fact that I am vulnerable to every sin if I don't keep my heart right with God. Do we understand that? 
how vulnerable we are and how quickly we could fall and disgrace the name of our God if we don't keep our hearts above everything else. I mean, Moses could say, it's, it's because I love you and for your protection, I sound these warnings. You, you've got to do these things. Otherwise, the anger of God will rise up against you and He will destroy you. That's why I'm sounding these warnings. When you go into that land... Keep your heart. Obey His Word. Can you imagine some of the people standing there saying, why, why is He so... Why is this such a big word? Why, we love you, God. And yet you know the history, right? What happens? What happens? They fall. They fall even though they're warned. So why are we to be continually watchful? And why must we be careful not to allow our minds and our eyes and our ears to be carried away with that which is evil and sinful? We're warned because this can have an effect upon your relationship to God we can soon find ourselves having a priority for other things more than we do for God. Money, prestige, friendship, even a love of the world. Oh, I want the love of the world. I, I, I want the world to admire us. Isn't it fascinating that churches are more and more trying to become more and more like the world? So that people can come and sit comfortably. And instead of being a, a different type of people, we become like them. And so, you need, Moses said, to fight against these, the enemy. Utterly destroy them. Make no covenant with them. Do not enter into a relationship with them. Tear down their religious rituals and, 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 and little trinkets. Do this. Because if you don't, you'll find yourselves following after them instead of God. Temptation is actual. It is real. And we are all vulnerable. And the second reason, the second reason that He gives is because your identification is critical. Your identification is critical. Notice, the second reason he gives there in verse 6 starts with the word for. You're to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and slew down their asherims and burn their graven images with fire for. And then what does he do? He says, here's who you are. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be His people for His own possessions out of all the peoples of the 
on the face of the earth. The reason you're to do this is because of who you are, your identity. It is because you're a people who God has set His love upon. You're a people who God has chosen to be His peculiar possession. You are His treasured people. You, out of all the people on the face of the earth, He has chosen you, set His love upon you, and brought Himself into your life. Do you know who you are? Do you live like those who are God's treasures? Do you? You ought to be a people that are set apart. You, you ought to stand out as being different than others. Look over to chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. And, and he set this reality before them before that, that others ought to see a difference in how you live and in your life. Chapter 4, starting at verse 32. Indeed, ask now concerning the former days which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything been done like this great thing that has been, has, or has anything been heard like it? Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of fire as you have heard it and survived? Or has a God tried to take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs and wonders, by war and by mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors, as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, He is God, and there is none other beside Him. Did you ever see a God do what God's done for you? As we looked at last Sunday afternoon, who's a God like this? Who has a God like this who's redeemed a people, taken them for His possession, treasures them, recognize your identity in Him? We're not like others. We stand different than others. We, we have a relationship with Almighty God. You are His treasure. Look over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And verse 14. Sort of get the context. Let's go to verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good works. God redeemed us to make us his possession, his treasure. And we ought to stand out as the people of God who are treasured by God, that the world might know that we are a different people because of God's work of grace and power in our lives. Know your identity. Who am I? I'm a child of God's by His grace and by His goodness. Therefore, I ought to live as such. And we come back again. These, these opening chapters here, after He's given them the Decalogue, these opening chapters are opening up in greater detail. That first commandment, have no other gods before Me. And dear people, We won't resist temptation as we ought if we really don't understand who we are. We need to be identified as those who are in Christ and those who are in Christ want to live for Him. In Sunday school with the young people, we're looking at learning and living the Christian life by John Blanchard. And today we were we were discussing the whole area of being born again. We need a new life. And with that new life, we live for Him. When, when a man has truly been born again and has a new life, then he has a new purpose. He has new goals. He, he lives for God. And as we live in this world, we need to live for God so that people take notice. What is there about these people that are so different than everyone else and then they begin to ask questions and we need to be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. We need to know our identity and we need to recognize our vulnerability. Our identity is being a child of God and to live for Him and not to bear reproach upon His name. Do my actions... And my words, my behavior, my conduct, my life demonstrate that I'm a child of the King. I am God's child. I'm His treasure, His possession. Is that demonstrated in how I live in this world? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, no, my life doesn't measure up to that. Well, my friend, maybe that says something about the true condition of your heart. Maybe you're not His child. You don't think about living for Him. You think about living for self. You think to gratify yourself and live to please yourself. That demonstrates you're not a child of God's. You're not one of His treasured possessions. And your need is right now to have dealings with Him turning away from your sins. But if you identify as a child of God, as His possession, He's redeemed out of all the people. I mean, do you ever step back and look at millions of people all around the world who do not know God, and yet God was pleased to set His love upon you and how you ought to live for Him. And then recognize as well then because of who I am, I have a great enemy. 
who's going against me. And I need to be working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I I know I'm vulnerable to every sin. I know I could fall into anything at any time if I don't keep my heart right with God. And therefore, to diligently, diligently be watchful and prayerful so that you do not fall. How's your relationship with God this morning? Things good? Things good? I know. So we, oh, it could be better. That's the answer. Oh, it could be better. Yeah, I know it could be better, but are they, is it good? Do you know there's little things in your life that you're not dealing with as you ought? And you're, you're convinced it's no big deal. It is a big deal. My friend, deal with it. Deal with it quickly. I remember, remember years ago when, when Andy Hamilton was here and, and he did a men's retreat for us. And, and Andy Hamilton at one time was a professional football player. And I remember him using the illustration of, of, of running a play in football. And, and, and they hike the ball, and, and, and it just collapses, and, and it falls apart, and the quarterback gets sacked. And when they go back and look at tape, they, they watch what goes on, and, and they what, what happened here? And, and they look at the ball. The ball was hiked fine. The quarterback caught the ball fine. But there was a guard. Or I'm not a big football position guy, but there, there was a guard right up the line, and, and, and at the end of the day, they watched, and he didn't have his foot. His one foot wasn't planted as it ought to have been. One simple thing, one foot not planted as it ought to have been, and therefore uh, the opposition broke through and got to the quarterback. But as only, as only Pastor Hamilton could have told that story, uh, because he lived it, he, he said, you know, a lot of times we look for big things. The quarterback. It must have been a quarterback mistake. He must have not caught the ball. Oh, the hike, the center didn't hike it right. No, it was one person's little foot that broke down the whole play. And he gave that illustration to say, dear people, little things. Little things need to be dealt with. Otherwise, Satan will break through and you will fall. And we need to be aware of that. Taking care of the little things. Well, this is the warning that He gives to them as they're about ready to go into the promised land. And so when you enter, take this information and take this explanation and use it so that you might continue to love and obey the one true and living God. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word for the direction that we receive from the Word and and how we pray that these things would not just be something that we hear and then walk away and forget what manner of men we are. But Father, might You use them to help us in our walk with You that we would have a, a lively, good relationship with You. Father, how we pray for Your people that if they're if they're neglecting things in their life that they ought not to be neglecting that they would acknowledge that and, and seek to pursue doing that which You have told them to do. Now, Father, we pray for those who may sit among us who have no desire to live for You. That, Father, You would break through their stony hearts. Give them a heart of flesh that would receive the Word of God that would cause them to run to You even today in faith and repentance. So, Father, take Your Word and use it, we pray, in our lives to do us good. And we'll give You the glory. 
as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'll take your Trinity hymn book in closing. Trinity hymn book number 63. God is known among His people. Every mouth His praises feel. Number 63. Let's stand together as we sing. God is known among His people. Every mouth His praises fill. From of old He has established His abode on Zion's hill. There He broke the sword and arrow, made the noise of war be still. Excellent and glorious art thou with thy trophies from the fray. Thou hast slain the valiant hearted, wrapped in sleep of death are they. When thine anger once is risen, who To save the meek and lowly, God in judgment sought His will. Even the wrath of man shall praise Thee, Thy designs it shall fulfill. Thou and pay ye to May God help us to live for Him, to be aware of the temptations, to fight, to be found faithful. We're having lunch together and then this afternoon.